Good morning. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 3. I know it's Palm Sunday, but I'm taking you to a decidedly not Palm Sunday passage so that we could see Palm Sunday in all its glory and appreciate it even more. I think it's really easy for people who are familiar with the Bible to approach things like Palm Sunday and Easter with a bit of a, I already know about all that mentality. And uh, it's kind of like when I went, when I didn't go to see Titanic when it came out. Like, I know it's sunk. Why do I need to go see that? I didn't even go and see The Passion of the Christ when it first came out. I'm like, I know how that story ends already. So I know how, how you probably feel when you think, okay, Palm Sunday, we're riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, okay? We're not going there today. And this week and next, I, I want to focus on, on again, uh, what will seem like a non-Palm Sunday and Easter passage of Scripture. It's John chapter 3. And what I want you to see is that it's very much about Palm Sunday and Easter. It's very much about what we should be thinking about all the time. And I'm going to focus... This, these two um, sermons in kind of a macro way on the idea, that line from John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Because today what I want you to see is the love of God in, in the way that Jesus interacted with Nicodemus and in what he said to Nicodemus. So today, the man who would be lifted up, and you see Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 really displaying the love of God in a huge way. And then next Sunday on Easter, the love that will not let you go. And we're going to look and learn from probably the most well-known Bible verse there ever has been. So take your Bibles in John chapter 3, and if you're able, please stand with me. I'm going to read these first 15 verses. This is God's word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that You are here with us. Thank You, Lord, that Your Word is true and powerful. And Lord, thank You that You want to speak to our hearts about some really important things. Thank You, Lord, that You have revealed your truth and you apply that truth to our hearts lord we pray that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word today lord may we not leave this place unchanged may your word change us lord by your spirit through your word we would be changed by you today to be better equipped to be the people that you want us to be today tomorrow and whatever whatever days you've given us we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, I also think it's easy for people who are familiar or unfamiliar with the Bible to wonder, what does the Bible have to do with my life, and is what is going on in my life really going to be affected by what I read in God's Word? I think that's a a question that a lot of people have on their minds. I I think it's easy to look around and say, what is this world coming to? We've got a jumbo jet that is containing 239 people that's been lost for over a month. There are countries on the brink of war. There have been catastrophic earthquakes. There have been massive mudslides. There have been senseless shootings. You bring it closer to home and there are things in our lives, there are things in our households, there are things in our, in our communities that are, are unsettling. We look around and it, it's a question that people ask. What is this world coming to? I think the question that we should be asking though is, who is coming to this world to rescue us from ourselves? And that question has been clearly stated in God's word. It is very clear that Jesus Christ is the answer for the world. See, when Jesus showed up on the scene, people were asking similar questions about the political and economic and relational climate. What is this world coming to? There were people of faith, people who felt their soul's need, that were saying, who is going to save us? That's what was going on in that first Palm Sunday. They are crying out to Jesus, Lord, save us. Hosanna to the Son of David. They're wanting salvation. They're wanting difference. They're wanting a change. They know they couldn't bring it about. It's interesting, though. We say it a lot. We say, you know, on Palm Sunday, that first Palm Sunday, they were praising God. They were praising Jesus as, as the king. And then just mere days later, they just slaughtered him. Which is true, but you've got to think about why they were praising him as king. Some of them, for, to be sure, had good motives, but others had seen the works that Jesus had done and had concluded that Jesus was going to be a political or an economic savior. And so they were saying, come save us on our agenda. Come save us the way we are expecting you to come save us. So their expectation was wrong to begin with. And so some of them, it wasn't that big of a of a leap to then say crucify him when they realized that he wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do. Now Jesus' interaction with with Nicodemus 
shows us God's love in, in really in two ways. First, in the way he dealt with Nicodemus. Just by the way he patiently received his questions and even very clearly, firmly, honestly answered what he was saying and, and gave him the truth in, in large doses. And so what he actually said to him really reveals the love of God and, and how he dealt with him. It's interesting that, that Nicodemus comes to Jesus not really with a question, but more of a statement. Let's start at verse 1, and you see that Nicodemus was a powerful man, an influential man, and an intelligent man. He is a Pharisee. Now you think, ooh, wait a minute. You got a Pharisee coming to Jesus? He must be angry. Well, no, actually, this Pharisee wanted to talk to Jesus and ask him some questions. He, he was humbly coming to Jesus, even, even though what you'll see is that he didn't get it at all. He was, not, he was not getting what Jesus was saying. He was a Pharisee. Now, the word Pharisee most likely comes from a Hebrew word that means to separate. So they were the separated ones, but not in the sense that they would kind of go off into the wilderness on their own and isolate from everyone. They thought they were better than everyone else. And they figured that the way that they had been born, their heredity, and their, their, really their, their standing in life, their authority, was what was going to get them to heaven. So they were generally middle class people from of the Jews, and they were business people, basically. And they, they were the, the orthodox core of Judaism. Uh, they were very influential amongst the common people. Now, according to Josephus, there were about 6,000 Pharisees at the time of Herod the Great. So there were a lot of Pharisees around, and Jesus had battle after battle with the Pharisees, didn't he? And he condemned them for their fixation on the outward rules, the outward religious observances because they were ignoring the inward heart transformation that God wants to bring about. And so Nicodemus is coming to Jesus and he's one of these Pharisees. By the way, his name means victory over the people. It's a Greek name actually. And it says that he's a ruler of the Jews. So he's not just a Pharisee, but he's a ruler of the Jews, which means he's a part of the Sanhedrin, which has 70, 71 people in it. And that was the main ruling body of the Jews in, in, at that time. It was like the ruling council that started probably during Persian times. And in New Testament times, you had the high priest who was in charge of the Sanhedrin, kind of the main leader. You had chief priests, you had scribes, you had elders. There would be 70, 71 people in it. And here's the way you be, got membership in the Sanhedrin. If you were born into the right family, if you knew the right people, you got in. This person, this, this Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at nighttime. It's very interesting. People say, maybe it's a symbolic, you know, it's symbolic of his spiritual darkness. He was, he was not a believer, and it, it could be that it was symbolic of his spiritual darkness i think he just didn't want to be seen if you're a pharisee and you're a ruler so you're one of the of the 70 choice leaders you're going to go to jesus who is basically their arch enemy at this point 
I don't think so. So he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to be associated. But he goes and he makes a statement to Jesus. It's actually a true statement. It's just not true enough. He calls him rabbi. Very respectful greeting. He says, we. So he's kind of talking in the plural here. We all know, the Pharisees and I, we know that you are a teacher from God. Okay, so that's a compliment. That's a good thing. And he says, no one can do the things that you do unless, unless God's with him. So all the signs that people were, were seeing him do, it's interesting that the end of chapter 2 in John, it says that the people were, some of them were believing when they saw the signs. So they start to believe when they saw the signs, but it says that Jesus knew what was in the heart of man, so he wasn't entrusting himself to man. But then this man, Nicodemus, comes and he engages him. And this guy calls him rabbi, calls him a teacher from God, and says, God's with you. But he falls far short of Jesus' true identity. And this ruler of the Jews that had come to Jesus by night then gets an answer to a question he's not asking. There's no question in, in verse 2. He just makes a statement. A lot of people think that, that Jesus basically knew. I mean, he obviously knew, so he anticipated what he was going to ask. What was on Nicodemus' mind, most likely? Eternal life. A lot of people came and asked Jesus, how do, I, how do I have eternal life? You know, people ask this question. They come up with all sorts of ways to get it. Men, most of them not biblical. But this is what was on Nicodemus' mind. It wasn't, hey, uh, we really like you, Jesus. And he's just standing there. He's he's got something on his mind. And so Jesus says to him in verse 3, Look, truly, truly, I love the way Jesus starts a lot of his sentences with amen, amen. We end our prayers with amen. But it's it's a danger with that. You know, Lord, give me this, 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 and this, amen. So be it. Hey, I said amen in Jesus' name. I'm going to get it. No. Well, if you start start your prayer with amen, I'm going to say amen to everything you say, God, and, and here's my requests. That would be a good way to start. Well, anyway, Jesus starts, amen, amen. I'm telling you something true. You need to listen to this. This is important. Here it is. I say to you, wait for it. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So out of the blue, Jesus comes up with this statement. Thank you for the compliment, Nicodemus. And by the way, unless you're born again, you're not getting into heaven. Unless you're born from above, unless you're born from God, you're, you're toast. It's interesting that he uses the term born again. That term has fallen on hard times in, in the last 30, 40 some years. And most of us look at that word a little bit sideways. People walk around going, are you a born again Christian? What that means is, are you a whack job? Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? And the thing is, people use this term, born-again Christian. That's like saying Christian Christian. Jesus says, if you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. Okay? So someone who's born again is follower of Jesus, a Christian, a, a believer. And, and people will say, I'm a born-again Christian, which means to them, at least, I'm a cut above Christian, more committed, you know, uh, full of the Spirit. Everyone, whatever you want to say, people twist born again into something it isn't and it's it has a lot of baggage 
But we're going to focus today on what the Bible says, what it means, what it is. Born again, born from above, literally. The Bible talks about this, the new birth. It's the idea is that Jesus is answering a question Nicodemus didn't ask. Okay? So that's the first thing. But presumably it was on his mind because Nicodemus is really into it. He's engaged with this, even though he doesn't get it. And the core of his problem is what Jesus is saying. You need spiritual transformation from your heart. You need regeneration that's basically from God, from the Holy Spirit. It's this act of God whereby eternal life is given to a believer being born again. The Bible's really clear about it. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, if they're trusting in Christ, if they're a believer, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. 1 Peter 1.3, it says that according to His great mercy, His great mercy, God's great mercy, where He holds back His wrath against sin, because Jesus took the wrath we deserved, that He caused us to be born again. A lot of people don't like this. This is what the Bible says. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.23, it says, You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. See, the first thing you see in this passage, really there's three things that Jesus is, is bringing out about the new birth, about regeneration. The first is the need. Everyone needs it. It's not optional. It's necessary. There is nothing optional about, hey, do you want to be a born-again Christian or just kind of a plain middle-of-the-road Christian? Jesus is like, you're not born again. You're nothing in this, in this realm. You're not, you're not in this realm. So the need for new birth, that without a supernatural act of God, there's no hope of eternal life with God. That's the idea. First John says a lot about people who are born of God. First John 2.29 If you know that he is righteous, God is righteous, Jesus is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You look at 1 John 3.9 No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. That doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. It means that you wouldn't continue on in a habitual lifestyle of blatant sin if you know Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And the Pharisees' problem was that they thought, again, that your family or your outward observance would gain you heaven. That's what they thought. That's what they taught. When they missed the point that Jesus expected inner transformation. Because what you see, what Jesus is saying is the focus is not on how humble you come to God. The focus is not on how broken you are over your sin or even your faith. It is on the need for transformation that is new life from another realm, not from the human realm. See, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. You're dead, you can't make yourself alive. You're dead. And God, it says, makes people alive, brings the dead 
back to life. What it needs is that there's an intervention of the Spirit of God that, that needs to take place. You need new birth. Everyone needs new birth or else they're not going to heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. So here's Nicodemus with all his knowledge. A really intelligent man. He has a lot of gifts. Probably a very wealthy man. He has a lot of understanding. He's a teacher of other people. Position, presumably very, very, a lot of integrity. But he can't enter the kingdom of God. He can't be in the realm of God's sovereign rule on the basis of his standing or his works. No one can. The need is radical transformation, generation of new life, which Jesus is saying is like a physical birth, like a birth. We need to be born again, is what Jesus is saying. A renewal of our whole nature. There's nothing in us that isn't defective. There's nothing in us that doesn't need to be redone. Total transformation is needed. Now, a lot of people say, well, I don't like that idea. Sure, there were people on on that first Palm Sunday that didn't like the idea of what Jesus was bringing either. Lots of people want to do their own plan. But verse 4, Nicodemus is like that. He's like, "Um, that's weird. That's just weird, Jesus. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? You're going to tell me that I got to go a second time into my mother's womb and be born again? Really? That's ridiculous. That's what Nicodemus is saying here. His response regarding physical birth indicates he has no idea what Jesus is talking about at all. And he was shocked at what he was hearing. Like, really, Jesus? You're crazy. He didn't get it at all. He could not at this point believe that new birth was required. So if you're in that camp, hey, you're, you're in good company. Nicodemus was like that. You're like, I don't get it. It's okay. Stay with me. Here's the other thing about Nicodemus. He was amazed, like shocked, that Jesus would actually assert and say that new birth was required. Not just that he couldn't get it. He's like, and Jesus has the nerve to make that statement? Now, what he's actually expressing for Jesus is scorn. Scorn. And the reason you know that is because he gives this blatantly liberal interpretation of what Jesus has said. I've got to go back as a grown man and become born again through my mother's womb. And Jesus just replies so patiently, so kindly, so lovingly. He says, look, truly, truly, again, listen up. This is the way it is. If you're not born of water and the Spirit, you're not entering the kingdom of God. Now, all sorts of ideas have been bounced around regarding what does this mean, being born of the water and the Spirit. Now, there are three primary ideas that have gotten bounced around, and only one of them is true. First of all, people will say, it's your physical birth, uh, being born of water, the, the water breaking, the amniotic fluid of birth. There's that idea. Other people will say, no, the water is baptism, which is what has led some people to cling to what is unbiblical, which is baptismal regeneration, getting saved through being baptized. Not a biblical idea at all. So some people think it's physical birth. Some people think it's baptism. I uh, think it's this. 
The water and spirit refers to one birth. One birth. Here's why. There's a, a, all sorts of reasons, but Nicodemus wouldn't have been thinking in that way of physical birth. He would not have known about a baptismal type of a thing what he would have known what he should have known what he could have known really it should because he's a teacher of, of israel should have known what the bible said about a new birth that cleanses and renews what jesus is pointing to is a new birth that cleanses and renews he is not referring to literal water but to the need for cleansing and what nicodemus should have known is what ezekiel chapter 36 says go there with me ezekiel chapter 36 When you find that, what you'll see is that God is saying to his people really what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus should have seen this, should have known. We'll start at verse 25. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. And here's what God says. He says, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So Nicodemus should have known that Jesus was referring to spiritual washing or purification of the soul that's done by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. In fact, we know from the New Testament, it's done by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God at the moment of salvation. Ephesians 5 talks about this. uh, The washing of water and the regeneration. This is what Jesus said is required for belonging to His kingdom. It is absolutely necessary. Titus 3 verse 5 says that God saves us not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness. So you can't say, I'm... I'm a Pharisee like Nicodemus and I'm, I got a lot of things on my resume that God should be able to receive me and take that as credit towards heaven. No, it says that he saves us not on the basis of deeds that we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There it is, that water and spirit that Jesus is talking about. So Jesus says in verse In verse 6 of of John 3, look, flesh is flesh, spirit is spirit. You should get this, Nicodemus. So he talks to him about the necessity of the new birth. It's absolutely necessary. It's totally required. There's no option about it. The second thing he points out to him is the source of this new birth. He's really already said it. It's the fact that God does it. Beginning at verse 7, He says, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. He knows that's what Nicodemus is doing. He's going, this can't be true. And Jesus says, don't, don't take it like this. Regeneration, new birth, is this sovereign act of God where he imparts spiritual life to those who've been called. That's what the Bible says. It's the sovereign work of God that we are regenerated if we're regenerated. Dead can't make that itself alive now some some traditions are going to teach that regeneration occurs at baptism again baptismal regeneration unbiblical idea what the bible teaches is that sin your sin my sin and our total depravity deprive us of the moral ability to exercise saving faith we don't have the will to do it 
Some of you are going to take out your free willow meters and go, that's not what I heard. And all I would say is, hear what the Bible says about it. Regeneration is entirely a work of God. By the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing on our own to get it, to obtain it. God alone raises people from spiritual death to new life in Christ. This is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus is saying. So he's like, don't marvel about this. In fact, he says, let's talk about the wind. The wind. Nicodemus, you know the wind. And back then, they didn't know as much about the wind as we know today. We know a lot about the wind. But we still can't control the wind. It's going to happen. He says, the wind blows wherever it wishes. And you can't figure it out. But you know it's there. That's just like the Spirit. The Spirit does something. You can't control it. You can't contain it. And you see the results. Nicodemus, at this point, should have been praising God. But he's thinking... Hmm, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Verse 9, how can these things be? Jesus is like, I told you not to marvel. And and, and Nicodemus just keeps on marveling. Ah, I can't believe it. How how could this happen? Told you not to marvel. The wind blows wherever it wants. We can, you know, today we know a lot about the wind and we can even harness its power to some extent. But what we can't do is we can't see it I guess in Southern California, the smog, maybe the wind, you know, is kind of, maybe you can see it that way. But you see its effects. That's how it is with the Spirit. Look, I live in the city of Orange. This church is in the city of Orange. But wind here on this property is different than where I live. Mere miles away. And you could only know it and believe it if you've been there and seen what goes on. I'm telling you what happens. If it's 20 mile an hour winds here, on this property at Grace Orange, it's 70 and 80 mile an hour winds at my house. When we first moved in two years ago, literally I looked out the window and saw the trampoline rolling across the, the yard like a tumbleweed. I kept the... You know what I'm talking about. Pete and Stacy know. They live right behind me. They know exactly what I am talking about. 70 to 80 mile, It rips things to shreds. Okay? Jesus' point is that the wind is, is, is not controllable by man or really understood by human beings, but its effects can be seen. And that's how it is with the Holy Spirit who does a work of regeneration in people's hearts. He can't be controlled. He can't be understood. But the proof of his work is apparent. When the Spirit works in the heart of a person to regenerate them, the, the results are undeniable. The results are unmistakable. There's evidence. And Nicodemus' response is, how can these things be? And Jesus is like, stop your marveling. In fact, this is Jesus' strongest word to Nicodemus, verse 10. Are you the teacher, not a teacher, but the teacher of Israel, and you don't get this? Wow. How far had the Pharisees gone from the word of God? So here's Nicodemus, a respected teacher, a teacher of teachers. One of their highest religious authorities. A leader among his peers. And Jesus is showing how far their ideas had drifted from the word of God. 
Even the most influential Jewish leaders didn't recognize that this teaching on spiritual cleansing and transformation was clearly taught in the Old Testament. Nicodemus should have been able to understand what Jesus was talking about. But let me just say, if this is you today and you're like, I'm still not getting it, it's okay. We're still with Nicodemus here and he's still not getting it either. God is patient. I told you that one of the ways that that the love of God is seen in this passage is that, that Jesus is so patient and kind and very firm and forceful with him when need be. What Nicodemus should have known are these close parallels to the Old Testament about God giving his people a new heart. We read it in in Ezekiel 36. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. God will do this. Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I, God's going to do it. I will put my heart, my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. God's going to do this. And I will be their God and they will be my people. He should have known about God doing that. He should have known about God cleansing his people. He should have known about God giving his people new life via resurrection. That's what we're going to celebrate next week. We should be celebrating this each day that God raises the dead. But Nicodemus should have known it from Ezekiel chapter 37. He takes him to this valley... And he brings him out in the spirit, sits him in the middle of a valley, and the valley is full of dry bones, people bones, skeletons, dry, dead bones. No life. Very clear. Went all the way down to the skeleton. Everything's gone. And God asks him a question. Can these bones live? The correct answer is, God, you know. And that's what the prophet said. Uh, O Lord, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus does the Lord God to these bones. So God is talking to dead, dry bones. Here's what God says. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. That's regeneration. Taking dead things and making them alive. And I will lay sinews on you, on, upon you, so you got muscles and everything, cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. So it's reversed the way it ha- usually happens, right? And put breath in you. And you shall live and you will know that I am the Lord. God's saying, I'm going to take dead stuff that's just gone and I'm going to make it alive. I think that this should, should warn us about something. I think this should warn us about the dangers of drifting from solid doctrine and clinging to unbiblical doctrines. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says that we, believers, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In fact, then it says, how shall we escape if we don't neglect so great a salvation? And it's easy for people, I think, to drift and then not receive God's word. That's what happened with Nicodemus. He's a teacher of the Jews. He's not teaching them accurately. And so verse 11, Jesus says, Look, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, we speak of what we know. He knows what he's talking about. He's God, and he bears witness to what we've, he's seen. No one else knows and sees the stuff God does. But he says to Nicodemus, you did not receive our testimony. You, plural, all of you, didn't receive our testimony. All you 
Pharisees and the people you're leading wrongly aren't receiving this. He says in verse 12, if I told you earthly things and you didn't believe, so he's not believing the thing that Jesus is telling him right now about getting a new life right now, then how will you, will, I, will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is like, I can't even take you and talk to you about future things in heaven because you aren't even receiving the stuff that has to do with your life right now. Regeneration is from God. It's from God. God does it. And you either have it or you don't. You either receive it or you reject it, which leads to that third thing that Jesus is saying. First, he says, look, the, the necessity is you've got to have new birth. The source is God. God gives you new birth. But the result of the new birth, you see this in verses 13 through 15, is that regeneration from God results in conversion, where we willingly respond to the gospel call, repenting of sin and placing our faith in Christ for salvation. It was because Jesus was lifted up that we can be born again. And Jesus even says in verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. What he's saying is, no one has the authority to say the things I'm saying except me. By the way, if you came from any kind of tradition that the leaders that aren't Jesus say, hey, we got some revelation from God, they're false. Because Jesus says, the only person who knows this stuff is me. I'm the one who came down from heaven. I'm God incarnate. And then he says in verse 14, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And you're like, wait, we're talking sticks and snakes now? Yes, we are. Snake on a pole. Here it is. Numbers 21. He's taking Nicodemus to Numbers 21. People don't like snakes. They give me the heebie-jeebies. I've killed a rattlesnake before with rocks. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, look, I'm going to be lifted up. He's, He's talking about his death on the cross. And he goes, it is just like, but just greater, the story you know about the snake on the pole. Number 21, Numbers 21. The people were complaining against God, and so God sent snakes, and they bit the people. Get your feet up off the ground right now, okay? Feet up off the ground. Some of you are getting a little, you know, nervous. No, there's no snakes in here. Probably not. But here's the deal. Uh, They were getting bit by the snakes, and the venom was going to kill them unless they looked at the snake on the pole. Now, it wasn't a live snake. It was a bronze snake. So they made a bronze snake, a metal snake, and if they would just look, and people are like, this sounds ridiculous. Well, that's what people say about the gospel message. It sounds ridiculous. Believe in Jesus and have new life? Yes. So they're supposed to look at a snake, and if they look at the snake, the venom will go away, the, the, the curse against them, the wrath against them will, will be dissipated, and they will live. I don't know about you, but if I'm back then, I got bit by a snake, I'm looking at the bronze snake. Okay? tie-in is the words lifted up just like moses lifted up the snake on the pole so the people could live and live physically those who look to christ who was lifted up on the cross for our sins will live spiritually lifted up i mean jesus on onward in this gospel he says 
Uh, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And so the crowd answers him and says, we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? He's talking about his suffering on the cross, and he's talking about his exaltation and resurrection as well. Acts chapter 2 says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And Jesus says in verse 15, this is is, going to be this way, so that, for the purpose of, Whoever believes in Jesus would have eternal life. First time in John's gospel, eternal life, that phrase appears. It, 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 it comes some ten times. It's, it's the resurrection life. It's life now and through eternity. That you experience it at the moment of conversion, of belief, the moment you come to faith in Christ. John 1.4 says, In Him was life, and, and that life is an eternal life of the eternal word. So Jesus says, whoever believes in that Son has eternal life. John 3.36 Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So the purpose that Jesus was lifted up is that everyone who believes in Jesus would have eternal life. Life in him. And at this point, Nicodemus didn't get that. Didn't understand that. Didn't believe that. Jesus said that. You don't believe that. You don't receive this. But that in him, he says, in him you might have life. The far greater and higher category than the bronze snake. By the way, do you know that we can make an idol out of anything? And ultimately that bronze snake had to be destroyed by King Hezekiah because the people started worshiping the bronze snake. And you're like, of course they did. Of course they did. Jesus, by his grace, spares people eternal death. Nicodemus goes, how can this happen? Well, the cross is the basis for new life. The cross of Christ. The kingdom of God, the the, the realm of his sovereign rule is eternal and new life is experienced through the saving cross work of Christ. Received by faith. So Jesus is the answer to the questions you're asking. That first Palm Sunday, they cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Save us, we pray. Because they knew they needed salvation. They knew they were miserable. They had the misery of sin just enveloping them. But the man who would be lifted up reveals the love of God to Nicodemus and to us. And today we see God's love on display in the person of the man who would be lifted up. It reveals three truths to us about things we desperately need in this day and age and into eternity about our deepest need, about the need for regeneration. It's not optional. No heaven without the new birth. And the source of that is by the Spirit. It's a sovereign act of God. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter um, how, how great of a thinker you are. The, the thinkers of the age of enlightenment were wrong. Unaided human reason cannot work its way to God. God makes that very clear in Scripture. And the result, that we are to lay hold of Christ's finished work on the cross. 
come to faith in Christ. Let me just say that right at this point, Nicodemus was faced with a question that everyone is faced with. Will he go with his own plan or go with God's? Hey, I got this great idea. I think I know how to figure this out. So will you go with your best guess gamble? Or will you take what God's word says and say, okay, I'm going to go with the one who is the way. He's much more than a teacher come from God. He is God who came to earth to save sinful man. And by the way, Nicodemus was not a dummy. A very smart, intelligent, influential, inquisitive man. The most respected teacher of the Jews. But he couldn't put two and two together at that point, nor was he able to figure out the answers. And let me just say, believers, don't be too quick to write someone off because they they don't seem to get the gospel message. God does the saving in his own time. But Nicodemus at that point was being challenged to turn to Jesus for new birth, and so are you. You are being challenged to turn to Jesus for new birth. He cares enough about you. He loves you so much to tell you the truth about yourself and point you to himself by being lifted up. He was going to be united with the glory that he had with the Father before eternity, and those who turn to Jesus will receive new birth. And this was not the last time Nicodemus was heard from. He didn't just fall off the radar screen. You see him later in John's Gospel, chapter 7. He is sticking up for Jesus. You see him in John chapter 19. Who is he with? Joseph of Arimathea, asking for the body of Jesus. What it seems is that he, he, he came to faith in Christ. Here is a, a Pharisee going and asking for the dead body, the dead, bloody, broken body of Jesus, so he can give it a proper burial. So it looks like he eventually came to faith in Christ because he was risking his own life, he was risking his, his reputation, making himself ceremonially unclean, touching a dead body, and that's what people who trust the one who was lifted up do. They, they risk their life and their reputation. So what about you? What about you? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you went for the jugular with Nicodemus to save his life. Thank you, Lord God, that you, because of your great love with which you love us, tell us the tie-in between yourself and being lifted up, that you will check the plague of wrath that would kill us because you are the answer to that wrath. And we want to trust in you, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that you give that was bought with precious blood and for the forgiveness and mercy that you extend. In Christ's name, amen.